to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. In some cases, we are just simply too full of the world to be filled with the Spirit. We got so much world in us, and we're so connected and engaged more with the things of the world, we haven't given time to the Spirit. So what can we do? Number one, be clear on the necessity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that these are not optional unless we want to just be a Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, in a message titled, The Gifts of the Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. If Jesus says stoner, then they're going to go to the Romans and say, this guy's telling people to stone people. So we know. What does Jesus do? He says, the one that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. So in all of these, we see this wisdom that's at work. We see it in the early church when they had this problem. There was in Acts chapter six, it's recorded. There's a problem. The Greek widows felt that they were being neglected and that the Hebrew widows were being preferred. And so they came with this problem. And, you know, what can we do about this? And the apostles, they said, this is what you do. Choose out seven men from among you who we can put over this. And they chose these seven men. They all were Jews with a Greek background and it completely solved the problem. But up until that moment, it had been quite perplexing. And so that's how a message of wisdom might work. It can come through the written word. It can come through a spoken word. It can come through you to another or it can come to you. You might find yourself in great perplexity And you have no idea how to deal with it. And the Holy Spirit brings through some means, through a person, oftentimes, that word that solves it all. It's like, oh my goodness, of course, that's it right there. These things happen. Now, next we have what's called the message of knowledge. Now, these are similar. There's some, seems like some overlap, but the message of knowledge, I would define it as the God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown. The God-given ability to instantly know something previously unknown. Now, again, we see this with Jesus. Remember when Jesus met this man at Nathaniel. It's in John chapter one is the record of this. And Philip says to Nathaniel, you know, come and come and see this, this person. He's the Messiah. And when Nathaniel comes, Jesus says about him, he looks at him, he says, oh, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, I don't know you. How, how do you know me? How, how are you saying that? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, obviously, for Nathaniel, it's like nobody saw me under the fig tree. I was way out in the wilderness. What do you mean you saw me out there? And then 
Nathaniel, recognizing that there's something supernatural here, he says, you are the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? He said, you're gonna see heaven open and the son of man ascending and descending. And we have a word of knowledge there as well, because apparently when Philip was under the fig tree, he was thinking about the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder that ascended into heaven. And so Jesus is affirming to Nathanael through this message of knowledge, this, this instantaneous knowing of something that could not otherwise be known. And so we have several examples of this in scripture. And again, I'm going way too slow. So we're gonna have to move on from that. But, but let me just say this, that I have seen this gift operate many times that God will give something to someone that they could not possibly know about a situation, about a person's personal struggles or fears or whatever, and, and they will come and they will speak that message, and that message itself will, will be the, it will be the peace and the blessing and the healing and all of that that's needed because it comes with the power of God. And then we have faith. Moving on from there to another faith by the same spirit. So faith here, all, all Christians, you can't be a Christian without faith, right? Paul's writing to Christians. He's talking about something beyond saving faith. He's talking about, I would just call it special faith or faith for the moment, it's an extraordinary faith. It's where suddenly you have this faith to just say no or yes, this, this is how it's going to be. I've experienced this many times. It's the faith that, that we could see in Peter when he got out of the boat to walk to Jesus on the water. He had the gift of faith. And as long as he was believing, he was walking on the water. But then in the story, it says, Peter looked around at the wind and the waves and unbelief set in and he sank. But it was that gift of faith that got him out of the boat onto the water. It was the gift of faith that, that enabled Peter walking by the lame man at the gate, recorded in Acts chapter three, to say to that man who had been there for 38 years, who had undoubtedly had Jesus pass by him at a certain point, and the apostles probably passed by him as frequently, suddenly Peter stops and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, how did Peter do that? Why didn't he do it before? Well, the gift of faith came upon him at that moment. So it's extraordinary faith. And then we have gifts of healing, he mentions here. Now, the Bible, of course, is full of examples of healing. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Now, here's a big question. Is the gift of healing still in operation today? There's nothing in Scripture to indicate that it's not. 
Okay, then who has the gift of healing? And this is where what I said earlier comes into play. No one has a permanent gift of healing. So if you've ever watched a healing evangelist on TV, know that you're watching a phony. There's no such thing as a healing evangelist. The only person in history that could heal at will was Jesus. No one else could. Not even the apostles. Although they exercised healing frequently, they could not heal at will. It's clear from Paul's writings. He talks about Epaphroditus who was sick unto death. If Paul could heal at will, he would have just said, Epaphroditus, be healed. He talked about Timothy's often infirmities. He said, drink a little wine for your infirmities. Why didn't he just say, Timothy, in the name of Jesus, stop being sick? Because that's not how it works. So again, with the gift of healing, no one permanently possesses it, but any believer could be an instrument of the Holy Spirit used to bring healing at any time. So God might use any one of us at any given time to bring a gift of healing to someone. So when we go to a hospital bed or we pray for somebody sick, we should always keep in mind that there is this possibility that God might heal this person. And we should pray for that. We don't know if that's exactly what God wills to do, but we should pray that that is what he would do. Because healing still happens today. Then there's the working of miracles, turning water to wine, multiplying loaves and fish, raising the dead. These are miracles. Do they still happen? People say, these things haven't happened since New Testament times. And we say that perched in our little space here in the United States of America having no idea what's happening around the rest of the world most of the time. The fact of the matter is, when you get out of our Western plausibility structure, which is things that seem plausible to us based on our cultural upbringing, what does not seem plausible to you? I'll tell you right now, a miracle doesn't seem plausible. That we are indoctrinated to suspect or to dismiss the idea of miracles. Even as Christians, we get that way. That is our Western plausibility structure. Scientific age, empiricism, those kinds of things. But when you get out of the Western plausibility structure... When you go to South America, when you go to Africa, when you go to these different places that haven't had this strong influence or as strong of an influence or a limited influence, you find that, guess what? Miracles are happening. Supernatural things are going on. There's nothing in the Bible that says that miracles would cease at a certain point. So we should believe that even though we might not be seeing them ourselves, but we might be seeing them, we should not be surprised to know that they still happen. The next is prophecy, to another prophecy. Now, prophecy is a beautiful gift. And prophecy, there's a, a real similarities between messages of wisdom, messages of knowledge, prophecy. They're, they're, in some ways, they're very much like a prophecy. 
But I think the difference is they're just very specific. Prophecy is a direct word from God, a word that just comes from God to the hearer. And this direct word from God, it strengthens, encourages, and comforts the believer. Now, prophecy can come in a variety of ways. It can come through someone simply quoting a scripture. I've had times where a prophetic word is somebody quotes a scripture, and man, that scripture just, it just suddenly is burning in my heart. Like, that is a prophetic word for me from the Lord. I remember this happening to me in Canada one time. I was in Canada, I was preaching at a conference, and we were having a time of waiting on the Lord, and someone spoke a word from Romans chapter four about Abraham, and man, it was like I was the only person in the room. This is a prophetic word for me. It can come through someone passing on something impressed on their heart. Someone can come up and say, you know, I don't know if this really resonates, but I just feel like the Lord wants me to tell you this. And they tell you, and you're like, how did you know that? How, how, how could you wait? No, nobody knows that. God knows that. That's a, that's a prophetic word. It could come in the course of a conversation. I've had conversations with people who prophesied to me not even knowing it in the course of the conversation. And I have prophesied to people in conversation not even knowing it. I can't tell you how many people have said to me things like this. You know, 25 years ago, you said this. I cannot remember what I said five minutes ago. And they're telling me what I said 25 years ago. How can you remember anything I said 25 years ago? It was a prophetic word. It was a word that so radically impacted their lives, it remained with them. That's what prophecy does. Prophecy can also come through a message preached. A message preached. And when I preach, when we preach, you know what we pray for? God, we pray for words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy. Speak prophetically, speak in the moment to the person, to the situation. I was really sick back in the, well, through, all throughout the 80s and much of the 90s. But there, there, was this, there was this time where I just had this super intense season. And Cheryl and I went to Hawaii with her mom and dad. And it was a time for me to just go and try to make sense of what was going on in my own life. But I was in a really desperate place. I needed, it was like, God, I need to hear from you. I need something from you. I need a word. I need a prophetic word. I was praying that and I was asking for that. And I was meditating on my Bible daily and I was praying and I was, you know, Cheryl would go with her mom and they would go out and do some things, take the kids. And I would just stay in the room and it was a really, really rough season. And on Sunday morning, Pastor Chuck was preaching at a local church. And so we went. And I went with this, this cry, Lord, speak to me. 
And when, I, when we you know, got to the church and had the worship time and everything, Pastor Chuck gets up and he says, uh, let's open our Bibles to Habakkuk. And right when he said that, I was like, oh, dang it. I've heard this Habakkuk message before. I need a word from the Lord. And I was, I was just so kind of disappointed. It's like, I don't need a message that I've already heard. I need a word. I need a fresh word from the Lord. So he starts in on the Habakkuk message. And the essence of the message, though, is the words of, Hab- or the, words of the Lord to Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Now, here's the crazy thing. For the first 10 minutes of the message, I was complaining about, God, I ask you to give me a prophetic word. I'm here at church, and I'm hearing a sermon that I've heard at least three times before. Here's the crazy thing. By the time that sermon was over, it was like I was the only person in the building, and Chuck was no longer Chuck, but he was God, and he was talking right to me. And he was telling me, Brian, this is my word. The just shall live by faith. You're going to live by faith. You're going to do things by faith that you could never dream that you would do. You're going to go places by faith that you would never believe that you could go. Your life is going to be a life that is lived by faith. I walked out of there knowing there was a God. It was a prophetic word. And hopefully you've had an experience like that. Hopefully, in the course of preaching, as you come and you sit under the word, hopefully there have been or there will be times where God speaks to you, not about that same topic necessarily, but just in such a significant way. So who can prophesy? Potentially all believers. Here's an important question. Are those who prophesy prophets? Sometimes, but not necessarily. Remember, there's a difference between the gift of a prophet and prophecy here. So remember, these gifts are not the permanent possession of any believer. Prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, they can be the potential experience of all believers. Now, really quickly, discerning of spirits. What does that mean? The God-given ability to recognize the work of the devil. Identify false teaching, teachers, and things like that. And then we have kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another interpretation of tongues. What is this? The supernatural ability to speak or pray in a language unknown to yourself. The supernatural ability to interpret a language unknown to yourself. Now, according to Paul, tongues is the least significant of the gifts, not that it's insignificant, but it's the least significant because it is more of a self-edifying gift than a gift that edifies the collective group of people. And Paul says that in an assembly, in a gathered assembly, tongues should only be exercised if there's an interpreter. Because if there's an interpreter, then everybody else can be blessed. But if there's no interpreter, the, only the, the individual person is being blessed, and that's not the purpose of the gifts in the local gathering. So that's why you exercise your gift of tongues in private mostly. But if there's a gift of interpretation, then you do so in public. So 
Here's the question. I won't elaborate on the answers, but I'll just state them. Why is it, this question is asked frequently, why is it that we see so little of this in the church today? Well, number one, probably ignorance. There's probably just an ignorance. People don't know. People aren't being taught about it. Secondly, there's pride and unbelief. Some people hear about it, but they don't believe it. And their pride gets in the way and they say, that stuff's weird. I don't want to do anything weird. I don't want to look weird. I'm more sophisticated than that. So there's the pride that results in unbelief that quenches the spirit from working. But then there's also a different kind of pride that results in excess. So there's excessive demonstrations of what the spirit is supposedly doing. People going wild, speaking in tongues, people being disorderly, people attributing to the Holy Spirit crazy laughing and barking like dogs and clucking like chickens and mooing like cows. This is real. People do this. But that's not the spirit. That's the flesh doing a poor impersonation of the spirit. So there's pride in excess. Then there's self-sufficiency. We got it covered. We don't, we don't need that. It's my theological training. It's my great ability to speak. It's my, it's my understanding of things that that's what is building the ministry and carrying us on, self-sufficiency. And then in some cases, we are just simply too full of the world to be filled with the Spirit. We got so much world in us, and we're so connected and, and, and engaged more with the things of the world, we haven't given time for the Spirit. So what can we do? In closing, five things. Number one, be clear on the necessity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that these are not optional unless we want to just be a dead church. But if we want to be a living, vibrant place where God is present in power, then we have to understand that this is not optional. We secondly need to seek to become dependent on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we need to seek to be filled with the Spirit, ask the Lord to fill us with the Spirit, be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. Fourthly, desire and ask for the gifts to work through you. When we get to chapter 14, Paul will say this. He will say, desire earnestly the best gifts. He says, desire them. Something we should want. I want the gifts of the Spirit not for my own glory, but for God's glory. And then fifthly and finally, we must step out in faith and exercise the gifts. We have to take steps of faith. And and we have to learn to be comfortable with the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to just think about these gifts of the Spirit. And I want you to just kind of take a survey you know, do I have some of these gifts? Where are they at work in my life? Have I had them in the past, but I don't have them presently? And, and just ask the Lord to rekindle, if need be, that flame within you 
and the experience and exercise of the gifts. And if you've never had any of this before, just say, Lord, I want that. That sounds beautiful. April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.